Voice Memos podcast with Jen and Myron. Hey, welcome to Voice Memos. I am Myron Clifton and my co-host is Jennifer. So Jennifer is a wonderful lady. She's originally from Wisconsin, now in California, flaming redhead with a beautiful big old dog named Mojito that I call Beast. She's a great sister, daughter, and a great friend. And uh, she is my co-host. Hey, Jennifer. Hello, hello. So nice that we're recording this because I get to save this and hear this over and over again, the compliments that you gave me. So I lied. <laughs> this is my friend and probably my bestest friend. I've known Myron over 20 years. He is a published author. He is an amazing writer, highly intelligent. And one thing that I can really tell you about him that stands out is how he raises his daughter, Leah. What, what's your Because it's at the bottom where you plug in your charger. Oh, so that is where... There's like okay. two little speakers next to that and you should see it's like the chargers in between uh, the two speakers. So that's why sometimes you see people driving down the road and they're holding their phone up like a platter and they're talking exactly. to the Exactly. Like, exactly. I mean, could you use headsets? Could you use a headset from your iPhone? Because if you're using your if you're using your phone audio and not your computer audio, you might be able to use your pods. You know what? Yeah. So I I did a little research on that, and you can do that. And then also, I just discovered when you go on Zoom on an iPhone, I found I found this online that you know how you have your little information screen if you pull down on the right side of your phone on your screen if you pull down on your screen and it shows like um your sound and a bunch of other little things but yes when you're on zoom a, a new little category pops up that says how do you want your voice to go do you want it to be standard isolated or something else and i i never knew that i didn't either like what do you yeah. mean i don't even know what those definitions mean yeah apparently apparently your iphone has is pre-programmed for uh, conference calls like on Zoom and so forth, where it turns into a microphone. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I just stumbled upon it floating around the, the World Wide Web one day. So we'll see how this we'll see how it how this turns out. I, I, the like www wanna... you looked at like you use the <laughs> www. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. www. No, no, no. http backslash backslash <laughs> You know what's crazy? If we think about when you and I started at Verizon Wireless, right? We had we had just cell phones that just kicked off. You know, people were you know getting those big brick phones and. We were introduced in 2002, I think it was, to text messaging and right. how we all thought, who's going to use their phone to text? You should be calling people. And you, as my boss at that point, drove me to fucking drink because you said, 
we will not communicate with each other unless we use text messaging so that we can get everybody used to it. And motherfucker, to this day, I'm still mad at you for being right. <laughs> I mean, it was the way to go. I I was I was ahead of my time. <laughs> it was so crazy because we had they had remember the blackberry storm so they gave us all umbrellas and we had a big kickoff and you know we were all wear, having umbrellas because we had the blackberry storm and it was gonna be a big sale <laughs> oh my god i mean what was going on in this country <laughs> god, I mean, you, know like, what, you know what's funny about that that i was in europe um around 2003 i think it was the yeah, i think it was like 2003 some point and i remember being in portugal specifically and watching the local news because it's a fun thing to watch local news in other countries but anyway well i like that and one of the features they had were it was a very good morning america type tv show you know with good morning portugal i guess yeah and this was like 2003 or so and they were already doing text us stuff. So on the screen was scrolling people, almost like you see a live uh, uh, Facebook Live or Instagram Live or, live or whatever. And people are doing a little hearts and everything. And they're just flowing through. They were already doing that on our local news back then. Dang. Yeah. So, so people's little handles and their little comments were coming through as they were doing their little Good Morning America, Good Morning Portugal TV show. This was about 2003. And I thought, wow, it's, you know, we didn't have that in the U.S. at the time. Well, and it's funny because even when I went to, I think it was Thailand. Uh, no, not I think. I went to Thailand in 2011. And mm -hmm. they were talking about removing your SIM card and putting in a SIM card so you can use it. I was, my mind was blown. Like, I was like, what do you mean you could put, you could put two SIM cards in one phone. I was like, why, why is international ahead of us? Right. Like, why are we so far behind i'm so far behind and it's i just, don't know but it's annoying <laughs> it is i remember telling my daughter leah i've told her this for years that you know we get sort of brainwashed in this country thinking everything about america is number one and our technology is the best and then you go out into the into the world in different countries you find out not only is ours not the best if you just compare apples to apples but if you just compare random things we are behind and much of the world we are just it's yeah it's incredible to see i mean yeah we have some things but i i can understand if you i mean look at like china and japan and their technology I, it, it's actually pretty right. amazing oh yeah if you go to if you go to europe i mean europe or asia just forget it we are way behind i, I learned this thing it's not even about phones but i learned this very brilliant I think I learned it online. Someone was telling me we had a long one of those random discussions about do you take your when you grocery shop, do you take your shopping cart back to uh, where you got it, or it's one of the holders places, or do you just leave it, just dump it? And so there was a big discussion about that. That you know, kind people or good people. I guess someone did a study that says um, if you. A good way to determine if a person is a good person, and I don't know how they define good, is if they take their shopping cart back because there is no reward for doing that and there's no punishment for not doing it. You just do it if you're a good person, right? Exactly. So, 
right? There was a long discussion on one of my threads on Twitter. This is probably about a year or so ago. But then there were some, some um, other aspects of that because people who are not um, fully abled in whatever manner piped up to say, that's very ableist to say that. I thought, well, you know, that's a whole different perspective I hadn't thought about. Um, but generally it was agreed upon. But then someone, someone brought this up, that in Germany, when you go to get groceries and get your cart, you have to deposit a dollar to get your shopping cart. And then here's the key. First, I thought, well, this was, wow, you got to pay the shop. But here's the key. When you bring your shopping cart back to the little station, you get your dollar back. Dang. See, why right? don't we have that? I know. It's brilliant, isn't it? And if you don't take it back, well, you, you give them a dollar because they got to pay somebody's salary to go get that shopping cart. Lazy motherfuckers. I've seen people struggle, like almost fight with a cart to put it up on a curb when the station <laughs> is right behind them. Right. Like, like you were doing, you're trying to um, use the physics of lift and weight and all this kind of stuff to get up on those curves and you could just roll it a couple, a couple cars down. I don't get it. It's so annoying. And I heard, I pulled into, I think it was at Target or something. And I pulled into a spot and I saw a spot two from me that just were full of carts. And this woman went to try to go pull and she's like, what the fuck? She's like, what lazy assholes put their cart? I started laughing because I was thinking, not only was there one, but there was three. It's, oh it's, it's, it's as it is as if these people followed the direction of somebody else, like, oh, somebody else was lazy. So that's their first lazy. I'll be second lazy, and then I'll be third lazy. Laziness is contagious. <laughs> it is. Oh, so I want to get back to that. But you know what? I'm telling you, that is a, what you just said. They said um, it's very frustrating to get ready to pull into a parking spot in a, you know, one of those shopping um, locations, and there's a damn cart there that you didn't oh see. It's so annoying. And that's worse than a little motorcycle or a little car. Oh, the motorcycles are the worst. I swear, whether it's a car or a motorcycle, there is about a, uh, maybe about 1.5 second calculation of, can I just shove it out of the way with my car? <laughs> <laughs> like, can I bump it without damaging my car? <laughs> I, right? I'm like, I'm in this little Prius and I go, well, I could probably fit in there with this Prius you know, but the motorcycle person might be mad. But you know what? <laughs> You're in the motorcycle. Get out of the park. Get out of the car's parking space, space uh, Mr. Motorcycle, Mrs. Motorcycle person. Get out of the way. Yeah. The definition of compact does not mean motorcycle. Right. Go park on the curb. You're literally on a motorized bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Europe being ahead like that. I love that they... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that. that's brilliant, huh? Like, that yeah. is brilliant. You pay a dollar when you get it. If you take it back, you get the dollar back. If you don't take it back, well, the dollar stays with the, with, the, with the business. You know, when you say something like that, it makes me think, you know how in just in general, in sales environments, for most people that are in sales, they're always up against another team, right? So they're always trying to beat the other team. And sometimes people are shamelessly stealing from other folks really good ideas. I don't understand how we don't travel or in general, people don't travel to other countries and then steal their ideas and bring them over here. I don't know why we wouldn't want to elevate our game that way. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Like, um, it's that old, uh, I heard a CEO say, 
birthday once before, find a parade and get in front of it, right? You don't have to invent stuff and that's already going on. Just copy it. Go ahead, you know, and celebrate it. Make, make it act like you did it. But we, as a nation, we don't, we tend not to do that. It's like, we're very, there's the word. Um, Prideful? Masculine. Yeah, solipsism. Like we just think we're the unit. We are the universe. There's nothing outside of us. And there's so many wonderful things when you just travel the world and you can be anywhere. You just go, oh, this is a great idea. Why don't we do that back in the States? And you just, nah, never happened. Yeah, no one wants to do the work. It's it's like, I don't want to put in extra effort to get better when, you know, we're sort of getting by and things are good. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we're still pretty good. We're a good country, blah, blah, blah. Why would we want to enhance it in any way, shape or form? Instead, we'll just continue to, drive our country into the ground with just distension amongst people and false news and, 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 and being the laughingstock of the world instead of the envy of the world. Yes. That, that's a good point. Cause I think about our, um, like our train system, how we're, we're a car nation and how you just can't get around uh, the country by train. Now you could, there's good train systems um, in uh, some of the East Coast cities, right? DC, New York, and uh, specifically, but some other cities have good intercity um, light rail and train and things like that. But we don't have national, like we have Amtrak. But holy hell, have you tried to take Amtrak, you know, from one city to the next, or like cross country? It's it's almost impossible. It's and now they have you know these better trains and super fast cars and everything and but it's still hell to do that. It's hell to do that on Amtrak. But I, it makes me think again when I was in when I was in Europe. I spent some time in in France, and I was staying in uh, Versailles and taking a train every morning or every day into Paris. And it was just really easy. I didn't speak French, but it was just very simple to navigate, right? And then after a week or so, um, we went to Spain, and we took, the, we took the same train from Versailles to Paris. And then once we got to Paris, we went down a level to the international level and hopped on a train that took us to Spain. Wow. It, was just, it was the simplest thing. You can't do that here in this country. Like I, I can't take a train from here, from California to, say, I don't know, New Mexico or, you know, some, some place like, I guess there's a state called Oklahoma. I don't know. You, you can't do it. <laughs> Like you can't do it, but in you and I realized, recognize the United States is large geographically, you know, because Europe can fit inside the United States. However, you can still get trains from all these countries to all these countries. So somehow they figured out how to make it work. The same way with Japan and Singapore, they have those trains that go 200 miles an hour. And, and so does China, but we don't have that. Like we just do not have that. It's crazy because, yeah, taking driving down to L.A. is about five to six hours. On those trains, you'd be down there like an hour and a half or two hours or something. That's like that. right. Look, I, I, I've been in California, almost born here, but almost all my life. And there's been talk of a super train from the Bay Area to Los Angeles for as long as I've been alive. And, <laughs> and there's been, you know, ballot battles and all this kind of BS. And I think even, you know, they've taken over some farmland in the central Valley and maybe they built a couple of components to it, but that thing is still 20 years from, from being built. Like it's not, it, it's just not happening. You know what? This makes me think of something else. 
with when the U.S. was at war in um, in Iraq, one of those Iraqi wars. I think it was like the second one. You know, desert, fuck you up, or whatever they called it, right? <laughs> desert Storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that, and and I remember because it, it was big on the news, and it was showing. You know, it was like the, one of the first like video game type wars they were saying because you could see all the all the drones and the bombings and all this kind of crap you know killing all these civilians like just real utter bullshit but anyway one day there was a big um story about how these different type of bombs had destroyed this um run the runways at one of the major iraqi airports and it was like okay you know destroyed the runway iraq re- repaid and rebuilt those runways a week later now I'm thinking about some potholes right down the street from me. It's <laughs> so, so annoying when I'm on the causeway and I feel like I'm on sand dunes. Why is that not fixed? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they rebuilt. Now, granted, it's just a runway at an airport, but they were in the middle of a war and they rebuilt the runway. And you can go to any city, and it could be large cities, small cities, suburb, doesn't matter. And you drive down some streets, and like you said, it's like you're on sand dunes or it's like you're driving across gravel and it's like what the hell you know people would rather instead of doing any sort of labor surrounding that they let they would rather hunker down and watch the johnny depp and amber heard trial right oh that trial that trial like i I don't know if it reached like oj murder um levels but that was I don't know, six to seven weeks of nonstop coverage for that. And I mean, they both lost. I mean, technically. They did both. They did both lose. He he won three points of his defamation um, lawsuit against her. And she won one point against um, him for his lawyer putting some lines in the newspaper. And like, I don't know if win is the right way to say that, but that's that's how we frame things in America. He won three, she won one. So it seems to me because she he won a ten million dollar settlement for his main um, lawsuit of defamation, and then the punitive award was another five million, and then she won I want to say two and a half million um, for the the lie, the defamation that his lawyer put out. Now, so it seems like he comes ahead, but then. The five million punitive has a cap, and I think they did the trial in Virginia, and the cap was three hundred fifty thousand. So basically, she owes them about eight, seven, eight million dollars. That that that's a lot of money. A lot of money, I think, and she's worth two point five million. So she's at. We're actually richer than she is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a mess, and you know what? Like I, I, I. I sort of followed the trial secondhand because my daughter, you know, she was wrapped up in, in, in this trial and she was giving me updates every day, like lengthy updates. And it was an interesting time to have this conversation with her because we were able to talk about the Me Too movement. We were able to talk about um, the power imbalance between um, uh, people. And in this case, uh, a wealthy, more famous man versus a wealthy, less famous woman. Both of them, both of them white. And um, she's saying that he was uh, an abusive person, not just verbally, but physically. And he's saying not only was he not, 
but that she was abusive to him. So you had a lot of competing um, elements to this prom. That's probably one of the reasons it, it became very famous. Plus, Johnny Depp is very famous. I mean, you know, John, and I was telling my daughter, I said, you know, he was a child star. So a lot of people are aware of him. And a lot of people are aware of his drug and alcohol problem. Yeah. Like he has been very self-destructive through the years. I didn't know anything about his abuse problems. Like I didn't know that part of the story. Um, but in his defense, she lost that part of the case. Yeah. Now, it seems like she won some of that in a in a uh, United Kingdom lawsuit, but I can't make heads or tails of it. I don't know if I want to make heads or tails of it, but she won some there. She lost here. And it seems like overall she lost. And I don't know, because I've been reading some things about, does that damage the Me Too movement? You know, because anyone can be abused, male or female, male to male, male to female. Male to female is the most common type of abuse, overwhelmingly the most common. And then there's a lot of smaller versions as well, male to male, female to female, uh, female to male. So all those versions exist as well. So I don't know if it damages me too, but I do think that whether, whether he won and she because she did abuse them, I think bigger than that is it still harms women because the overwhelming majority of people who are in the receiving end of abuse are women. And that, that fact doesn't change. And a, and a man winning this particular high-profile case, it gives that false impression that, that he is in the majority. And he's not like that. That 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 that's a that's a um, that's not the most common form. But the people who pump that up, like online, the the Republican Party Twitter account is celebrating it. And then you look at all these all these men, all these problematic men, you know, celebrating it and saying, "Oh, this person shouldn't do this. This person shouldn't be canceled." Or you know, this is woke culture that's been you know um, finally lose this. It's that kind of shit, you know, that that I think ultimately, even if she did what he said and the judge and the jury agreed with him, it still harms women. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I, I don't think that's a really good perspective because I don't I don't think I looked at it that way with the, the fact of the matter of of that he was he was given due process and found not guilty. I didn't think, oh shit, is this going to ruin, is, does this send a wrong message to the Me Too movement? So I think that perspective actually enlightened me a little bit in this conversation, just to, to because I didn't even imagine the impact that it could have in that environment. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. And so I, I really think about how invested my, my daughter, and she's 17 and she was firmly in Johnny Depp. Um, corner. Camp. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fernie in his camp. And so I wanted to make certain that she was trying to get facts and understand um, that even if he were to win, it's unusual. Like, it's not the norm. It's not the norm that men are abused by women, though it, it does happen, certainly. But the majority is women. So I wanted to make sure she understood that. I wanted to make sure she understood that, you know that Me Too overall has been a positive thing for women because we went through 300 years 
of no Me Too. It has, it's been a disaster. And, you know, 10 years of Me Too does not equal out or balance things. Um, so it's been a good, like you, like you're on, you know, after school specials, it was a good opportunity to talk to my daughter about very serious issues. That's good. Cause you know, Johnny Depp's outcome was definitely a minority. I mean, in yes. general, but because he, it was so globally viewed and watched that, right. that, that element could have been there. I think that's a good conversation. You and you and Leah always have really good dynamic conversations specifically, I mean, you could pull, you could talk about numerous things that impact children today from gun violence to racism to, I mean, a plethora of things. And to notice something of this value and this magnitude right. of a Me Too movement says something about what I always said about you and, and, and your ability to be a good father an educator to your child and have really good, robust discussions. Because something you told me years ago when Leah was small was that kids are always smarter than we think. So they know yeah. when you're keeping something from them. They know when you're trying to beat around the bush, just be open and honest. And I think that develops a trust up front than, than sort of thinking in your mind or my sister's mind that you're almost protecting them, you know? Right, right. That's a good point, isn't it? It's a good point because, you know, sometimes you get into these situations with, you know, she's 17. I mean, can you remember when you were 17? Like, we knew shit at 17. We right? knew like, so much were, stuff. And, well, and I mean, you might not know all the details, but you know stuff. You're more in tune. You actually, because you're more observant, I think because there's not a lot of outside distractions of, you know, paying the bills, managing a household, going to a job. I think at that age, you have this ability to be more observant of things around you. So you're more in tune with your friendships. You watch the dynamic of how your parents interact. Like, are they being nice to each other? Do they love each other? Are they, do they get angry with each other? Those types of things that you don't see as an adult, because honestly, as an adult, the responsibility to manage all of it, to create a safe environment, you, you don't get to, your peripheral is not on. So you're only super focused. And I think children, teenagers, those that don't have that responsibility yet are more in tune. So we have to give them more credit than what we think. Yeah, that, 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 that's a good point. And so like you, like you were talking about jobs, and talking to employees about things and stuff like that. And then, you know, you have your kid and you can't be afraid of those crucial conversations, right? And it's the thing about with, with, with kids and their developing minds, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to steer her to, uh, I don't want to indoctrinate her, you know, brainwash her and say, uh, this is the only way to think. I try to, you know, like even with this, this Johnny Depp Amber Heard, because they had so many elements to it and try to just listen to her first of all and see where she's going and then add a couple little facts here or there and hope that she, you know, can, I know she can process it, but make sure she doesn't say something like, oh, only women abuse men. Like if she says something like that, I'll just, you know, I'll just stop it. Just let's get this straight. But as long as she was showing awareness of the nuances and things, then it's, it's, it, it, it makes it easier to talk to her. Now, when we're just watching regular TV and all of a sudden, you know, just some random TV show um, or movie and all of a sudden um, the lady or the guy start going down on each other. And you're watching it with your 17-year-old daughter. It's like, holy yeah. fuck. Everybody's holy uncomfortable. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> holy <laughs> fuck. Like, what the hell? 
Like there's no, there's no instruction manual for this. Like what? Because it could be this the most basic movie or documentary, or it could just be something that it doesn't seem like it's gonna have that something like that. Which there's nothing wrong with sex. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I'd rather have her watch set, uh, implied sexual action versus violent. You know, sex is better. So, right. But it's still in those moments, it's just some ra- random TV show. People are going on and on. And then all of a sudden the lady goes down on the man or a man goes down on a lady. And you're like, well, <laughs> what do we do? You, you pause it with the anticipation. Do we need to talk about this or do we just move on? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though you know and and i think because especially i know every day should be pride and i know june is pride month and and, and the support of the lgbtq um community is having those types of conversations with even teenagers right because we know that most don't feel safe to have those types of conversations and parents actually maybe wanting to have those conversations but not knowing how to approach those conversations i think i think as you think about um this environment and where we are and what we're trying to celebrate having an avenue just to let children talk now as most people know on this podcast, I don't have kids, never wanted them, knew when I was 12, I wasn't going to have them. What yeah. I do also know is that I have two nephews that I love and adore. And I think that if, you know, being a godmother, if my, if God forbid, ever something ever happened to my sister, I'm responsible for taking on, you know, my nephew and raising him. And through that process <clears throat> and thinking about that, I always try to create an environment that it's safe. Like no matter what time of day, no matter who, what's going on, if you're in a situation and you need my help, you call me, no questions asked. And also allowing that freedom to say, sometimes I'm not sure how to approach things with you. So I'm always looking to learn. I don't know why or what inhibits parents to do that, like where the fear lies. And maybe because you are a great um, role model to your daughter that you've learned something along the way that maybe you could share. Cause honestly, I don't know why more parents don't have that type of conversation. Look, Dan, when I was in, when I was in uh, Canada with my two uncles, right. Uncle Bill and uncle Bernie. Oh boy. Um, right. Say no more. <laughs> they, right. So we were, and we were having our little um, open discussions about things. And there was one day we decided to like Festivus, the airing of grievances, right. So we, we were, I think it was lunch, after lunch, we just sat down and we wanted to share our grievances with one another. And so when it was my turn, I told my two uncles, my Uncle Bill, the older, m- much like my, he was like my father and Uncle Vernon, the younger, much like my uncle or older brother, because we were not that far apart in age. I said, look, look, you two old farts. Neither one of you motherfuckers taught me about sex education. Like neither one of you, you both had all these opportunities. And so they laughed about it. I said, let me tell you, let me tell you the result of that. That when, when I was, my mom and dad had divorced and my mom and I, my little sister were living in an apartment together. And I was in like eighth, eighth grade, I think. And so, you know, there's a lot of sex talk at school and everything. And then I learned about at school from just on the playground, rubbers, right? Um, prophylactics or condoms, the sleeve, all these things. So I had learned through sort of just hanging out on the playground that you needed those to have sex, which was a pretty good lesson, right? Yep. 
So one day at the store, I decided, or one day at home, I decided to go to the store and see, you know, what they looked like. I, didn't, I had no idea what condoms looked like. So I went to one of the little stores. And in those days, it was like a little, it was just a convenience store. And they had, I found them and they had them and they were within reach. Like they weren't behind the counter or anything like that. So they I weren't locked stuff. up like Tide Pods or anything like that? No, they were not locked up. You know, maybe America was a little bit smarter back then. <laughs> but I stole a pack of condoms. Whoa, right? you so, stole yeah, them. I stole them. So I go home. And we had a nice little apartment in Oakland and my mother's working graveyard and everything. So I go home and, you know, I, when I got my little sister to sleep, you know, I put her to bed early because I was really excited to see what these bad boys were all about. So I got, I got, and I'm telling, I'm telling this story to my uncles. So I get, I get the condoms, you know, I open a condom and, you know, first I'm perplexed because, you know, they're all rolled up and I'm like, what the hell? So I figured it out, you unroll them. And I was like, oh, but you can't put your your penis in them when they're unrolled, you have to like put your penis, you know, how you actually do it. Like they teach you with the bananas in school. So I was like, okay. So, you know, I was able to get my, um, my erection going and I got a new condom and I put it on. I was like, oh, okay. I, I think I figured it out. And then, you know, a couple minutes later, I ejaculated into that condom because what else are you going to do with the condom on, right? And, and I'm like, you know, eighth grade or whatever. So I tossed the condom in the toilet. Okay. So the next morning, my mother comes home and I'm up and she goes, who left this condom in my toilet? Like, oh my <laughs> God. Oh my, I didn't flush the motherfucker. Or if I did, it came back up. <laughs> now it was my mother, me and my little sister. My little sister was probably about, if I'm in eighth or ninth grade, she is probably like, because I'm about, I guess I'm about 13 or 14. So she's like six or seven or something. So I yell back to my mother, not me. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I tell my uncles, I go, you motherfuckers should have told me. If you're gonna if you're gonna whack off it through a condom, you need to flush the toilet and make sure it goes away. You could at least have told me that. If you give me one life lesson, teach me how to do that. <laughs> oh my god, what was one of theirs? Did they have a story for you? The grievances, um, yeah, my um my 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 uncle Bill had this story about how it wasn't really grievous about me, so we started talking about sex. And so, <laughs> and so he 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 told a story of how, you know, Michael Bill, he's in that group that, well, he was born in California, but his his older two older siblings, my mother and aunt, they were born in Louisiana, but they had gone back to Louisiana after Michael Bill was born just to go visit family. And they, they had driven and he said he was like 12 or 13 or something. And he met, they met, you know, their cousins back there and everything. And he was like, one of his cousins was particularly pretty. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, where, where are you going with this story? <laughs> abort, <You know>? abort. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, it was different rules back there. <laughs> <laughs> was there? Yeah, like, oh my God. He said, Yeah, you know, in the country, we had different rules back. I said, but you were from 
Oakland. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you see, yeah, but we were we were back in the country, we were back amongst our people. And he stayed like it was she wasn't a first cousin, she was like a second or third cousin, and we got the plan out behind the shed and we started doing that. Show me, show me yours, show me mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you mine. So I don't know how far they went. He said he really didn't go that far, but they got very close. So I <laughs> Oh my God. What made you have that conversation? Like, was it because you know, it wasn't that you drink or anything. So you weren't sitting in this environment of feeling a little buzz from alcohol, being like, tell me about something. Tell me, like, what kicked that off? I, you know what? I, I don't even know. It was, it was uh we were, I think we just started talking about um I you know what it was? My Uncle Bill. Um, he's been married and divorced and he retired at age 55. We actually started talking about retirement because Uncle Vernon had just retired. Uncle Bill said, well, he retired at 55. And and I, I remembered that, but it seemed like he was much older, but he was only 55. And I was like, why are you retired so young? He said, I wasn't young. He said, I, I, I was in the union and I was 55 and I worked like 25 or 30 years and you get full retirement. And so he did. And so he started talking about that about how um, he retired and then at his retirement or at once he retired, then he divorced. And then he, he remarried, he said, you know, he had forgotten how much he loved sex. <laughs> how much he, he loved what? Sex. Yeah, he said, cause you know, I guess the last, I don't know how many years with his former wife, it was pretty sexless. And then he, get this, he gets this new wife and she's a little, a little younger than him, but you know, and he said, he said they were just, he said they were like, they were like um, high schoolers. See, they were just going berserk. And then I was like, is that why you have two broken hips right now? Like two new, new <laughs> hips replaced? <laughs> he had two new hips, you know, all this stuff. He goes, yeah, we were doing it all over, all over that house. Like, man, come on, come on. So, so anyway, yeah, so we started talking about sex. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. That trigger to that. Yeah. I mean, I think back, my parents had me young. So they were 19 when they had me. And I, I think they didn't, they didn't teach me anything about sex, sex education. You know, back then we had school health classes, but they just scared the shit out of me for having kids, uh, that because they got pregnant so early, that's what they reminded me of. Like, listen, if you have sex, you could get pregnant and this would be your life. And Uh I mean, not in a way that my life was bad, but a, a way that, your life sort of is no longer yours because now you're raising a child. Right. And so I saw that. And then my mom had, they had my brother when I was 12. So they were probably 35 or what, 32 or something like that. And seeing of having a sibling that's 12 years younger than you, you get firsthand action as to how difficult it is to raise a child, to protect a child and Honestly, not that I have any resentment, of course, that you have to give up some things to help and support because, you know, your parents have to work and somebody has to take care of them and you can't really afford having daycare. Plus, why do you want to put your kids in daycare? So it it allowed me or showed me I grew up a little faster in the in the thought process that children is not my forte like this. I do not want to give up my life or anything involved in it to raise something that is takes so much energy and so much dedication and really to the fear. I I mean, as a, when he was a child, I just kept 
thinking I, everything was a worry like oh my gosh when he's walking is he gonna bump his head or oh my gosh if, if if he goes outside will someone steal him that type of that type of worry is not something i wanted to ever have in my life that's that's amazing you know it's amazing that you realized that and then you actually did it yeah well at 21 i i had a surgery i had some fibroids mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i asked at that moment i said hey can you um just take out my uterus. Like, I don't need it. I don't, I'm never going to mm-hmm. use it, you know, donate it to science, whatever the case may be, but just take it out. And the doctor is like, nah, you're too young. You're too young. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, bitch, I was thinking about this at 12. Like I do not want. So, and all my aunts, you know, I told you this before, but my dad has 13 brothers and sisters and seven sisters. Mm-hmm. And my aunts were relatively close in age because again, I was the first grandchild. So, um, I remember all them telling me that, oh, you'll change your mind. You'll change your mind. You're going to want kids. Hell to the F. No. And I, I, I will say this as a female that tells people that they, she doesn't want to have children. It was a big topic of conversation as if I was put on this world to do it. And then I got to just start using Oprah and say, like, listen, look at Oprah. She's a billionaire and she doesn't have any kids. So I finally right. found somebody else that was public that people could relate to to be like, well, she doesn't have kids. Oh, OK, maybe that seems normal. Isn't that, isn't that amazing that that women, I don't know about the world, but in America, um, you have to justify that you don't want to carry another body in your body. Exactly. I mean, like, it's the the thought process of thinking that I'm on this planet just to procreate from a man's perspective. And usually there were, they were much older men. Like I would say a little bit of old school type men where women cook and clean and have children and take care of the household is, Oh my God, are you, do you want to die alone? Uh, In most cases we all die alone unless we're on a plane crash. I mean, ultimately we die alone. Nobody lays next to us and says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go with you. Like that just doesn't happen. (laughs) Oh, that might as well something my uh my grandfather used to say uh, he was a pastor of a church and anytime someone would die you know someone would ask him hey, how they die he said the same thing every time their heart stopped beating <laughs> <laughs> it's so true and you know what there's no guarantee in life that your kids are even gonna like you and they're, no. they're that they're gonna be around you when you die or give you what you want in life or be easy to deal with there is no guarantee that your Nothing. child is gonna be what you think they are Nothing. And you know what? It's eight billion. It's eight billion people on this goddamn planet. Eight billion. That's enough. That's right? enough. That's enough. Oh. Like we're we're fine. We're fine. You know, I think about my my sister-in-law. She reminds me, like you said about your dad. My sister-in-law. She is one of I want to say eighteen. Holy shit. Yeah, and she and she fell right in right around the middle of that group. And so as the oldest girl in the middle, she ended up. Um, being the co-parent raising her younger sibling. See how that, that is? Because you can't yes, do it. So, I mean, you're right? a mom having 18 kids. There's no way that you could personally manage all 18 of them. Right? I mean, that's a lot of children. And so she was like you, she said she never wanted to have kids because she spent most of her life just raising kids. And you know what was interesting about that? So she ended up having one child with, with my brother. So they had one child. And it almost killed her to have that baby, like physically almost killed her. She was on bed rest from like month four. Oh. She barely survived childbirth. She was she was hospitalized a few months or like a couple months afterwards and then in bed rest afterwards. So 
her instincts were right. Like she she didn't want to have babies and it almost killed her to have that one big head baby. See, she should have listened to her into it, big head. Most kids have big heads. I I remember, you know, you talk about big families and I think in my personal opinion, big families are usually not very wealthy. And in my dad's case, grew up in a four bedroom house, definitely not wealthy at all. Grandma couldn't work. I mean, grandpa was worked at the cannery company. And, and so any sort of treat that they received or, or got extra was pretty amazing. So if they got a thing of ice cream, my dad would tell me, you know, all the kids would get a little scoop of ice cream and my dad would go put his back in the freezer and then wait for everybody else to finish wow. their ice cream and then bring out his bowl of ice cream and then tell everybody tell everybody that his mom gave him an extra scoop. I mean, <laughs> talk about talk, talk about just setting the place on fire. <laughs> God, he would get in so much trouble for that. But, you know, I guess you're never alone if you have that many siblings, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's funny. Hey, um, what are you watching on TV these days? Ooh, okay, so I just finished Shining Veil with Courtney Cox and Greg Kinnear on Stars. Uh -huh. And oh. it's a dark, it's a it's a, horror, a comedy horror show. It's actually oh. really good. Oh, okay. I, you know, I think I saw that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that that was like horror or something like that. I love that. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, it's I, like, um, possession out. ghost story. And I, first of all, I like Greg Kinnear and I really, I think Courtney Cox is funny. So there's a lot of great lines in there that are funny. The banter is really good and they're only 30 minute episodes and there's only eight of them. So, I mean, I you can, you can get through that in a day. And then I started stranger things. So I'm on episode four and Ooh. Ooh, this year and the boys season three starts tomorrow. So I'm super stoked about that. But um, I am impressed with Stranger Things right now. I mean, you and I had a slight discussion on it. I will say that this is not for the weak at heart because it's definitely uh, scarier. It is gorier and um, it's a little more violent than the other two or three seasons. Yes, I would agree. So I am also watching Stranger Things. Lee and I started watching it, and it is—it's pretty scary. Uh, it's it's full on horror right now. It is, yeah. and you know what I like? They're like each hour and like twenty minutes. Do you know that each episode roughly costs twenty to thirty million dollars to make? That's amazing. I hope those kids are getting a good a good good cut of that money. Oh but, uh, my God, 20 to 30 million. So there's seven episodes and then there's going to be four and then there's going to be a final season. Netflix, uh, I wonder why they raised up my price a dollar. Right, Netflix is not playing with those price bikes, man. It's driving me crazy. So, I'm, I'm, so I am also watching Stranger Things, Lee and I, and then uh, Eliane and I started watching this reality show called, on Net, also on Netflix called Glow Up. Oh, and a makeup all, show, right? Yes, the makeup show. And there's three seasons of it. And Lee and I just watched the third season, but I started season one with Elliot. It's, it's trash, right, because it's makeup. But you get to see some really innovative makeup because it, it, they do makeup for different settings. So whether it's on the stage, the runway, a print ad, or um, special effects, or... Um, 
transgender or drag queens, not transgender, but drag queens. So you get to see a lot of different styles. And look, I don't know anything about makeup, but like by episode three, I was like, oh, that lip is terrible. They didn't do that. <laughs> right. Their blending is just the worst. <laughs> Suddenly you became Laura Mercier and Bobby Brown. Um you know, what's funny about that, I think I did watch the first season. And I just watched the first five minutes and then fast forwarded to the end result. Yeah, that's only five. I didn't watch any of the in-between build-up shit. I just wanted to see the before and after really fast. Yeah, season one has a lot of fluff in it. It gets better in season two. And then season three is really good. Okay, season that's three. good to know. Because they, they cut out a lot of the crap and just go, here's what you need to do. And like go do it. So. So we're, I'm watching that, and then, like you said, um, Stranger Things. I'm, I'm like you. I'm looking forward to the boys, and then I finished a series called Out of Range on um, Amazon. Amazon. Prime. Yeah, it's really good. It is. Is that with um? The oh, guy that played Thanos. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, what is his freaking name? His dad is a uh, Josh Brolin. Yeah. So it was. It's so it's good. It's very, it, it is surprisingly very good. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a slow burn um, about two ranch families. They're probably, they're one of those white, all white states, like Wyoming or something like that. And um, they just have a typical land dispute. You know, one wants more land, the other doesn't want to give, give up the land. And they discover something on one of their property, property way out on outer range. And that becomes the center of their dispute, what was the, what was found there. And it oh, just, okay. yeah, that, it's, it's, and I think it's maybe, you know, it's one of those Amazon Prime series. So it's, probably, it's maybe it's eight episodes, but somewhere between six and eight. And it's, it's very good. Good to know, because I, I mean, I still have The Staircase on HBO, which I need to watch, but I'm going to wait for all the seas, all the all the episodes, so that I can sort of binge watch it. And then I do have the Hack on my next list because you've re- yes. recommended that a couple times, and I like that actress, um, Jean, Jean Smart. So I I like her. I think that's I'll, I'll keep that there. I'll finish Stranger Things. I got to finish Grace and Frankie, which is the final seat final series finale season. So I'm binging yes. that sort of slowly because I hate to see that show end. I think okay, that's the good one. I think you'll like the Jean Smart one because she's about she's around our generation, you know, and so and she's a, a very experienced comedian. And while they don't do a lot of, she's a stand-up comedian in the show. So all her interactions with everybody are just really, she's sort of a mean bitch. And it's, it's hilarious that how she just cuts people down. And there's really good characters. So anyway, I think you'll like it. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Uh, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I have, I have not heard from one person that Maverick is terrible. Everybody that's seen that movie, I have not seen it yet, has said that it is really, really phenomenal. Really? Okay, that's that's a good tip. Because um, I just watched for the first time the first Top Gun. I just watched it last week. I Are you shitting me? I had never seen the movie. <laughs> that is a, that was the, it came out in 1986. So oh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but you know, somebody died. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're safe to say that if they're not our age, 
They've already mm -hmm. seen it, right? Or they have seen it if they're our age. And anybody that's watching it now that is 26 to 36 have no mm -hmm. idea probably what the original Top Gun is. So they're when you ask them, you know, are the original characters, some of them in there, they're like, what? No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, you know, it was pretty good. And the lady, the love interest, um, I think it was Kevin. No, I think it was Kelly. Was it Kelly McGinnis? Kelly McGillis in the first one. Yes. Yeah. She was a hottie. Like, yeah. Was, I mean, you know, I was talking to someone about that because, I mean, I think genetics play into this, but I don't know if she aged as gracefully as, you know, you would think that she would, but um, that's okay. Not everybody yeah. can age flawlessly. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you this that era had a Kelly McGillis. Kathleen Turner, those types oh, of vibes God. of women were like the girl next door, but sexy. And yeah. that was the look in the 80s, like Jennifer Grey from, you know, Dirty Dancing. Right. Those types of like curly hair, sort of the, not intimidating looks, but a very sex appeal back in the yeah. 80s. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the good thing. That, but, and they didn't, they didn't appear. I, and I'll put Halle Berry back there because she was a babe even back then. They were just, they just appeared like they were just really good looking and they didn't seem like they, they were um, enhanced in different ways. They just, I don't know. They just, they were just really good looking in those yeah. days. They were the girl oh. next door that right. wasn't really the girl next door, but you weren't, you didn't look at them like you would look at a Megan Fox and be like, holy fuck, like what, right. how did she get those looks? You looked at a Kathleen Turner and a Jennifer Grey and a Kelly McGillis as just, this sort of sexy dynamic woman that you wanted to be close to and and you could relate there was some relatability yeah for their that's looks. A good word for it, it it wasn't like a megan fox that you just go wow i don't know anybody in my life that looks like that so that's a little strange to me but i do know somebody that looks kind of like kelly mcgillis or kathleen turner that type of thing yeah that that that's a good point because um i think about gal gadot right now like oh. like I could I couldn't shoot my shot with her. Like I could like if I saw her in person, you know, I would just like, well, let me just walk away because exactly nothing, I would I would nothing I could do to, here. Yeah, I couldn't approach her at all. I mean, Wonder Woman, first of all, in every aspect of how she presents herself and how she looks, how she her brains on top of just her looks I, is just it's intimidating. I would just I would just try to like like if she was walking into like a hotel or something, I would just try to like Clear the way. They're moving everybody out of the way. Everybody just get out of the way. Just let her come in. <laughs> let the queen move. <laughs> um, hey, so it's, it's June 2nd, uh, and we're going to wrap this up, but it's June 2nd, California voting. Um, we're going to do a public service announcement is um, June 7th. The election is June 7th, so you can um, vote. Go to the, if, if you don't know where your voting place is, go your um your polling place if you just go to um Cal if you just google california voting you're going to get to the uh, california secretary of state website it has all your you could click where to go vote it'll tell you where your drop boxes are your um if you've already mailed your ballot it'll tell you if it's been counted or received and counted and there's a lot of important things on the ballot including for governor um we have uh, the Senate and then all your local things and voting matters, um, not just every four years for a president, 
for all the things that lead up to that. So your school board, your supervisors, your 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 city council, mayor, whatever it is Sheriffs. you're voting for. That's right. All those things matter. Um, so um, as a public service announcement, the Jen and Myron Voice for Most is asking you to make sure your voice is heard and the best way to have your voice heard besides screaming on podcasts is to go vote. Yep, 70%. I mean, we, our last recall with Governor Newsom, 71% of the people voted to keep him in. So right now across the nation, the 30 percenters are, their voices are a lot louder than our 70 percenters in general. So we've got to get people out to make a change. The, the, the only way that we see any progress is by voting. So yes, get out and use your voice, mofos. That's right. I love it. So. Jen, where can people find you online? You can find me at Jen Van Lannen Veg. And what about you, sir? I can be found at Myron J. Clifton on uh, Twitter. I have a digital magazine, Dear, Dear Dean Magazine. I have a blog, um, Dear Dean. You can see uh, where all my books are, either on Amazon or Dear Dean Publishing. Just look at Myron Clifton or Dear Dean. It's all there. Uh, check me out. Check out my books, my blog, my magazine. And please, Rate this podcast wherever you listen to us. Share with your friends. Um, we are we are two of the most important people in the world, and people need to know that. <laughs> yes, and we are very shallow. <laughs> so thanks for visiting with us and going shallow. We'll talk to you all next week. See you later, Jen. Bye. Are you still there?